Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. We're about to get going, so if we could have everybody come in. They're all having a really good time out in the foyer, so we'll probably have to start making noise in here before everybody comes in. So you all want to stand with us, and we'll start singing. Strength for us as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength for us as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever, our hope, our strength. Take a seat. I got a lot of stuff here to talk to you about. My name's Don, and I'm a volunteer here at Liberty Lake Church. And, uh, that's what turns our crank. All of us that volunteer keep this place going and kind of help our pastor and elders not have hard days. Well, they still have hard days. On occasion, we catch Shane trying to put his jacket on. He's got both legs in the same sleeve. But so he does need help and he needs prayer. Tyler's class. July 12th, 6 p.m. They are now meeting every Monday. 
on the book of John? Craftsman ministry? Where's Jacob? They're building things. You get to smell welding exhaust, hot metals, manly stuff. Burning skin, yeah, whatever it takes. Youth camp is coming soon. Flyers are in the foyer. Deadline to register is July 21st. This is the greatest thing going. So you parents that are having a tough summer, here's your opportunity. Send those kids off to camp for a week. You'll get a rest. VBS, August 9th through the 12th. Registration is on the website. Pick one of these up if you're interested in helping, volunteering. Uh, the crew uh, needs meals. Uh, it's a family VBS this year. So the, the kids uh, come with their parents if they can. But if they can't and they're just kids, we need uncles and aunts and grandpas and grandmas, all kinds of people to step up and just adopt a kid for the week. Um, just show them the love of Christ. And most of them just want to be listened to and uh, want somebody to hear their stories. And good stuff, really good stuff. You know, we live in an America that's kind of spooky at times. You know, we used to have the 100-year storms. We used to have an earthquake once in a while, and now it's a common place. It seems like these storms are every 10 years. And uh, volcanoes blowing off, political unrest. I always like what Will Rogers wrote. He said, death and taxes are inevitable. However, death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. And they're just tough times. So I would like to encourage you this morning. This is Colossians chapter 3. And just a side note, because it's so important to be in our Bibles every day. Every day. Colossians takes 13 minutes to read. That's the average reader. 13 minutes. And when you stop and think, I kind of clocked my bride last night because she washed her Kia Sportage. And it's not a big car. But she was done in 35 minutes. Just in time comparison. So 13 minutes to read Colossians. And here's something that's really neat. A nugget. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Focus on Jesus Christ in eternity with God. You know, it's interesting because for the most part, an optimist tells us to just look on in these tough times. A pessimist shouts, look out. And that little four verses in Colossians chapter 3 says, look up.
You want to stand with us and we will continue to look up.
we start this next song, I want you all to know that I have been asked all week by Zeke, my son, to play this song. So.
You may be seated. Uh, we're going to take communion this morning, and so uh, how we do that is, as I'm going to uh, encourage us for just a second, and then you will have an opportunity to come forward, uh, take something from one of our three locations, and, and then go back to your seat and hold on to that, and we will take together uh, as soon as everyone gets seated. Um, can you imagine that night that Jesus was betrayed, and knowing what was coming, uh, at the, he's out praying, and in and, and such agony, he's pleading with the Lord that it would pass from him. And it's in that moment that his eyes are so fixed on his Father that he fulfills what he was called to do even to death. And so as we take communion this morning, part of what we're doing is we are uh, reminding ourselves, we're putting our eyes back on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, the payment that his blood pays for you and for me, and gives us opportunity to stand in boldness before the throne and go to Jesus and say, Abba, Father. I, can, I have hope because of you. And so that's what we're going to do this morning as you come forward. And then when you sit back down, we'll again read out of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's account of what Jesus says as he reminds us of what the blood and the bread are for. And we remember and proclaim his death until he returns. So as you feel led, please feel free to come up. If you do not feel led, you are welcome to stay seated and, and to just pray and, and be part of this with us without coming up as well. So.
makes a beautiful sound of light, right? always in awe of how God uh, works out his timing. Uh, last week we dealt with some pretty heavy stuff in the gospel, or in uh, Jeremiah and in the gospels uh, as God was challenging him and, and calling him to th- these things. And this week uh, we actually get to look at the encouragement, the reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. And, um, and I, I saw us, we, we postponed communion for this week. And uh, sometimes you question that process of making decisions. And then as I was reading the text this week, I thought, ah, that's why he did that. So we can be encouraged and be reminded together of the glory of the work of Christ on the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together in remembrance of Christ. He continues in verse 25. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take together. Father, we are so thankful and we are grateful and we need to be reminded we are a people that forget. So Lord, I thank you for the opportunity this process that you have put in front of us to remember the work that you did on the cross, the representation of the bread um, in your body, the blood and this drink. Lord, as we consider the price that you paid, knowing what was coming and still focusing on your Father, on the Father's will, and, and living in obedience on the result of this sacrificial giving of your life that every person that claims you as Savior, that knows you as Savior, Lord, has the the joyful hope of eternity with you. Lord, we want to say thank you this morning. We want to exalt you and worship you and lift your name high in our own hearts and in our praise and in the things that we do. Help us to live in that way and reflect your glory uh, this week as we consider these truths about who you are. And as we remember, uh, Lord, the, the death, your death, your burial, and your resurrection on the cross. We thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Stand with us to continue as we continue our worship.
awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath of living water, such a marvelous mystery. Kids, you are dismissed to your classes. I turn this on. There I am. Hey, I just want you to know, I bring this up here not because I like being up on stage, but because we have online stuff and they need all the help they can to make me look better. So they have lots of, can lots of lights up here, and so that's the reason I do this. It's a little bit better picture online, so hello. I just wanted you to know that sometimes I feel weird walking up on stage and putting it up here. So anyway, uh, good morning. Are you guys as excited about Jeremiah as I am? Man, I hope so. I hope you are reading ahead and, uh, and, and you can see some of the great stuff that's happening in Jeremiah. Uh, I, I realize that at times it can be pretty intense and it can feel uh, like there's just no hope. And, and I think that's one of the beauties of Scripture, right? Um, we know that this particular passage that we're in, uh, Jeremiah chapter 16, is uh, most likely it was one of the early uh, words of the Lord that he got, that Jeremiah got, and it's, it's part of the, uh, the, the mess, if you will, that's of Jeremiah where they don't actually have everything in chronological order. Uh, they have a, the books are just uh, kind of combined, and they believe that it was actually done on purpose to help instruct or to be a, a better form of instruction for those who followed up after uh, the, peop the, the nation of Judah as they were collecting all of his work and putting it together. It was thought that there are some uh, different views on this. But when you look at chapter 16, 
and we see uh, some of the, the, the beauty of the text and, and the things that we're going to look at this week, I think you'll be encouraged, and I hope that you will see um, what I was encouraged with this week as I share it with you today. Uh, last week, we saw that Jeremiah was told he couldn't take a wife, and we went through the whole process of asking that question, is that, is that too great a request? Did God step over the line there? And, and we looked at some other texts where, where we watched God ask men and women to do things that for us would be a little bit hard to accept. And then we went into the Gospels, and we looked at what Jesus said about being a disciple and the cost that he associated with that. And, and how that, in most settings, I think that was a, a, a difficult thing. It was a very challenging uh, and difficult truth to accept that God's sovereignty in our lives means he can ask us to suffer, to, to give up our life for the sake of his kingdom here on earth. And he does for, for different people at different times throughout Scripture. And then we come to chapter 16, verses 14 through 21, the end of this passage. Uh, and as I was wrestling with it this week, I realized that it's one of those times, I believe, where the Lord is actually encouraging Israel. He's encouraging Jeremiah. He's encouraging uh, uh, Judea. How, how many of you have ever been encouraged by your parents? And at the time, you were like, that was not helpful. Anybody remember those moments? My mom... Uh, my mom, for those of you that don't know, uh, I grew up in a split home. My mom was, uh, got, my dad left when I was three. My stepdad came into our life about seven when I was around seven years old. And he and I had a horrible relationship in the beginning years, uh, mostly because I was a very terrible child. I'm very hateful, very angry. And I spent most of my childhood very angry. And so uh, kind of hard to love on an angry kid, uh, although many parents did, and my stepdad did a great job of that. But I remember a moment where my mom, it was one of, in, one of our big fights where things weren't going well. I'm pretty sure my dad had pulled all of the spark plugs off of my Corvair, uh, the spark plug wires, so that I couldn't take off because I was, I was going to leave, and they were not. Anyway, so you can, you can see how great the, the connections were. And I remember this encouraging word that my mom gave me. She, she was trying to help me see the value in God's plan for what was going on. And she says to me that if you, if you want to be successful in this life, you need to focus on the good things that God has given you, not focus on the negative things that God has given you. If you focus on the negative things, you will become the very thing with which you focus on. Doesn't that sound wonderful right now? That's incredible encouragement. You're like, that's wise. Focus on the positive things. Look at what God gave me in, that, in my stepdad who took on three kids, was disowned by his parents when he married my mom, kicked out of off the farm, out of the will. That's a pretty significant sacrifice that he made to pick up an angry kid that didn't like him. There's all kinds of blessings that were there that I can see today that I couldn't see at the time. At the time, I didn't receive that as an encouragement, uh, but it truly was, and it was great advice, and surprisingly, I share that with all kinds of people. I've been using that in my ministry for most of my life. Stop focusing on the negative. That's what you're going to become. People respond much like I did when they hear that. They're like, that's, that's wonderful for you. But I believe that we're actually in a spot in Jeremiah where we're going to see a very similar thing, and it's, I think it's a spectacular moment in this text. So join me in Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 through 21 this morning.
I get, let me just share this with you too because I'm a little distracted today. I woke up with my back really hurting. Not normal. I did something yesterday and it hurts. So I'm, I'm in pain right now. And I'm preparing to share a text about focusing on the positive and this encouragement of the Lord. And I was thinking to myself as I'm coming to work going, really? You had to give me a physical illustration today? <sighs> so that's part of what has me excited about this is that I'm, I've been trying to practice it this morning. So I, I hope you will find some joy and some anticipation in your faith walk this week as we go through this. So join with me in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought you up, uh, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rock. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, O Father, Fathers have, excuse me, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Well, the, fir the first thing that we see in this is that the God is actually he's telling the nation of Judah that he's going to call them back out of the north, out of the place that they're dispersing him. They're no longer going to be known as the nation that was removed from Egypt, which was their big thing at that time, right? The, the Moses, the law of Moses, the, the exodus from Egypt, how they left Egypt and wiped out Pharaoh. Well, they didn't do it, right? God did it. He did it in a spectacular way in the Red Sea and wiped out the army of Pharaoh. And when we got to the promised land, what was said about them? Remember what they did to Egypt. Remember what happened, what their God did to Egypt. And so here they have this, this reputation. They have this past, this historic value and treasure in the relationship with the Lord. And God's saying that will no longer be the case. That's not going to be what you're recognized for, what, what people remember you for. But the, the reference is going to be to God redeeming them from bringing them back from the captivity and from him driving them out because of their rebellion and because of their iniquity and their sin. It's tough when you get this kind of news before you're driven out, right? Because that's when Judah's getting this, before God's driven them out, before Assyria gets there and takes them captive. This information's coming to them at that point. Yay! But in our economy, we get to look back and look at the story and see the amazing truth of the character and nature of God. God the Father, who is bringing judgment on that. We actually saw it in verse 18, but he says, But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols. And he continues. He, he has this beautiful picture, this reminder that he's going to bring them back. 
He actually says this in Isaiah uh, for the nation of Israel before Israel was driven out as Isaiah was, was calling them to repentance. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 5, he says this. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Isaiah is calling, given the, same, the picture of the same moment where, where the, the nations are being called out of captivity. They're being called from the north and from the south. And, and I, love, I love the text. I love what he actually says in here, that, that it's everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Um, in that, don't you find that interesting that that's how he started out with Jeremiah? He reminded him what God he was, that he was in the beginning. He formed him from, from the very beginning. He made him specifically for that purpose. He set him aside for it. I think that's incredible. A side note, we're not actually going there this morning because we don't have time to deal with that, but you may want to mark down in your Bibles, Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 9 and 23. It's interesting how Jesus uses the terminology, if, he ha- if or whoever has ears, let him hear, Right? And we just saw in Isaiah, he actually says, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. They're they're people that have the ability to hear, but they don't. They're people that have eyes, but they cannot see what God's doing. And when Jesus' ministry, he begins to actually speak using some of the same terminology and some of the same language, inviting them to return. You guys, this is good news. This is very good news for Israel. Because they're going into a time of, of deep and painful, uh, devastating discipline. We've seen that in Jeremiah. We watched that happen. Um, I, I love the titles. If you, look at, if you look at the titles in Jeremiah, so you guys have those in your Bibles, right? Because you're actually reading Bibles. Okay, okay. I was just checking because that was a quiet response. I, you know, sometimes in your electronic ones, you may not have all the same titles, but if you get some, some of these have great titles in them for the chapters. Uh, chapter 6, Impending Disaster of Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 7, Evil in the Land. Uh, you get back in here into 1516, and uh, it starts getting really crazy. I, I love, well, I don't love it. I actually found this discouraging. 14, Famine, Sword, and Pestilence. 16, famine, sword, and death. Uh, Let's see, where is that? There's another one in here. Um, Anyway, you get the picture. Flip through. This is significant. This is painful. This is a major moment. And God's reminding Israel that he's going to restore them. He's going to bring them back. You ever feel like 
you're alone in, in your relationship with the Lord? Do you ever feel like it's quiet? Maybe you're even in, in a spot where you're reading the Bible and it's dry and you, and you don't hear from the Lord. I, I wanted to, uh, my hope is that you'd be encouraged to recognize the nature of God in this moment in the, 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 the nation of Judah. Because the very nature of God, even as he's proclaiming their discipline, he's reminding them of his character and his nature and his redemption. It's so important and it's so uh, impactful because I, I think it plays into and, and it reflects in the very person of Christ. Did you see what he said uh, in the text, in, uh, starting in verse 16? He says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. God's saying that he's going to send out people to gather, his pe- to, to gather those back, to gather them back. How many of you fish in our group? Okay, just a few of you. It's okay. It's safe to raise your hand. You don't have to be a car guy to go here. I was trying to find a car analogy, but I'm not sure if I really have one for this particular thing. So we're just going to go with the Bible does. But if you guys fish, I grew up fishing. I actually used to fly fish back when I was young and I had more time. But it's an amazing thing. You go out and you're trying to convince them to take the hook, right? So what do you do? You bait them. You work really hard to figure out what the food is that they want, and then you put it out in front of them, and, and the whole intent is you're going to rip them up out of their habitat and cook them. It's, it's kind of horrible, unless, you're of, unless, of course, you get to the ones that you just catch and release, where you just, you know, rip half their face off and then throw them back. That makes no sense to me. I mean, I, I guess, but anyway, the point being you have to actually study. You got to know the fish. You go out for fishermen to be successful. You have to work at it. It's effort. It, it's intentional, and you got to know where you're going. and And the process requires involvement. And, and 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 it's amazing thing. And they're they're typically skilled at this. But God's sending these people out to actually catch and bring back His people. And then He says more in the text. Well, let's go look at what He where He actually talks about this. I love how Jesus does this because he ties in uh, the, the Old Testament language into his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. He says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, and in, uh, in the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, Jesus didn't call all fishermen, but in, this, in his first disciples that he calls, he literally says, come and I'll make you fishers of men. We got a, a little glimpse of uh, the, the beauty of the nature of God in this. I honestly believe that God was not only encouraging the nation of, of Israel at this time, that he was going to restore them, but he was also prophetically pointing to Christ coming, who was going to actually draw all of his children, all of those who are called by his name, and bring them in. And we see this picture with Jesus actually saying, come and I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. And then hunters. How many of you hunt? I love that term. Um, I was uh, I was talking with Craig this morning. We were talking about the fear of the Lord, and he was sharing with me a story. Can I share this, Craig? 
Okay, great. Um, he was sharing with me a story uh, about being in Africa and being in a, a hyena cave. But he didn't realize he was in a hyena cave at the time. He was just in a, in a very dark cave, and he thought to himself, self, should I be afraid? Is there, there's something not right about this. What's happening? Well, in, in hunting, I think, you know, you put yourself into your, uh, uh, a situation where you're out with wild animals. And, and there's all kinds of stories of things like that happening. But I remember a particular event for myself. I was trying to become a bow hunter, which is brilliant. Unless you are not very adapt to the area that you're in and you're hunting deer right over a bear den. I'm out with my bow and I'm walking through the woods and I thought, well, look, there's a track. There's a trail right here. This is beautiful. And right up on top of that little rock knoll, I can sit there and not move and I can wait for the little bambies to come by. And I'm sitting up on this rock, and after about an hour, the sun comes up, and it starts hitting this rock, and all of a sudden, I'm like, what does that smell? Something stinks. I get up, and I start kind of looking around, and I walk around the corner, and here's a bunch of bear scat and a big old hole right underneath this rock with berries and all kinds of stuff that had all obvious, very very active bear uh, habitat. And I had a stick slinger. And that was actually the last time I went bow hunting by myself because I was not safe. What's the point? Hunters are skilled in what they do. They know their prey. They're, they're going after something on purpose. God talks about him sending hunters to go into the hills and to draw them back from all locations, from everywhere that they're scattered. He's going to draw them and return them to himself into this relationship. This is an intentional move by God. It's not just, it's not just a, a, an accidental, well, let's see what happens and throw it up in the air and we'll see, we'll see what we get. It's intentional. It's on purpose. And he's, he's telling the nation of Israel, he's reminding, I think he's reminding Jeremiah of this too. You can imagine how Jeremiah was struggling, right? Uh, was it chapter 14 that Jeremiah was, was being encouraged by the Lord to return to him? Remember the promises that he gave him? So here's the intentional movement of God reminding the nation that he's going to restore them and return them. The next thing he tells us is that his eyes are on all their ways. His eyes are on all their ways. And I, I, in my notes, I put down both their, their suffering and their sin. And, and I think we see that in Scripture um, we see God, rec- you know, hearing from Israel repeatedly. He would listen, and as they would cry out to Him in the midst of their suffering, He would respond. But I think sometimes what we what we forget about God is His all His His um, His constant presence, His His always being in our lives and being present with us in all circumstances. Um, I, I don't know. We have this discussion every now and then that you know th- this. Uh, the the, ho- the holy place of God is not actually in the sanctuary. It's it's in here, right? We're now the temple of the the Spirit of God. He dwells in us, and so we are the very presence uh, of God is with us all time. So He sees everything that we're doing. He, he uh, in fact, later on in Jeremiah is going to explain to us that He even knows our heart, which is horrible because, I mean, it's a awesome. 
because we need him to know our heart. But let's just be honest. There's moments in our lives where what's going through our minds, we don't let out so nobody else knows how horrible we think. But what's really happening in our heart is not honoring to the Lord. Look at what David says. I love this passage. David says in Psalm 139 about God's eyes being on all of our ways. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before, to, before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light uh, about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my innermost, uh, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made, or when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God sees us. David says we can't even get away from him. Even if we tried, the darkness does not, is not darkness to him. He, he knows our thoughts. He, before the, well, the words even enter onto our mouth, he knows those things. Do we know God that way? When you think of God, the God of the Bible, when you think of Jesus and the Messiah and all the work that he did on the cross. Do you know God is a God that you cannot escape his presence, that he knows every thought? Do we think of him that way? You know, I don't know that I do. I mean, I do when I'm thinking about it, but then when life starts happening, I start living like I can cover it up. I start living like, well, as long as nobody from church sees me, then I can take care of that business later. Right? Isn't that a little bit true about our hearts? And yet, we're being reminded, Jeremiah's being reminded that this God that's bringing the discipline that, 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 is, that is this mighty God who is just in his judgment against the, his people of Israel, the nation, he's reminding them that he's not forgotten, that he's intentionally going to restore them, that he's a God that's involved not only in the discipline of his people, but in the restoration of his people, in the return, in, in the salvation of, of of these broken lives. He's a God that can be trusted. He's a God that is capable of doing all of these things, even when it seems that it's terrible and hard and impossible. He can see all those things. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 21 and 22 remind us that he sees our sins for man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, he ponders all of his paths. The iniquity of the wicked ensnares him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Part of what I was wrestling with this week, and, and, and as I was uh, 
trying to apply this to, to my daily life. How, how do you live this reality of God? How do you live out the truth that God uh, sees all of our things? Well, part of it is, uh, as I woke up this morning and my back was sore, I'm like, he knew, he, he knew this. He knew it before I went to bed. I don't know what I did yesterday. I have no idea. I really do not remember doing anything that should hurt. I try to avoid those things nowadays, like minimize that exercise, that practice. So I have no idea why it hurts, but he knew it. And he knew that it would bother me this morning. And he, he knew all of those things. And so as I was wrestling with that this morning, going, okay, so I can trust him with this. I can actually be joyful in this because I can trust him. And he knows these things. And he's sovereign beyond just the, the, the moment of, of my sin. He's, he actually can see all of the stuff that's going on. In fact, he would be so involved with my life that he would actually challenge my own heart in being selfish in that, in that moment and say, hey, you know, you still need to work on this area. You still struggle with selfishness, and, and I want to help you do that. And so in that moment, I'm going to allow some of this pain to come into your life because ultimately it will result in good for you. Ultimately, when, when you obey, when you turn, it will result in good, my good. Probably not yours, not, not, not always in my mind, but it is his good. He finishes up, I think, with a statement that uh, is, is part of where I believe that we actually see uh, a point towards Christ, and it's in verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will make them known. This once I will make them known my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Uh, when we look at what Jesus did on the cross, uh, you, you, you've got um, to see this because it's an incredible moment. In Matthew chapter 27, we actually see the testimony. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And, be, and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The other said, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and peered to many. When the centurion and those who were with him kept keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So I was thinking about a moment in time, the, the, the once 
the one time that he will make them know his power and his might and that his name is the Lord. That moment in history pops into my head. Here's a centurion soldier, a man that has seen great battle, who is watching what happens in this moment, watching the earthquakes and all the things that are going around. And his testimony, his evaluation was, truly, this was the Son of God. He's watching this powerful display. Nothing like this had happened before. The curtain being torn from the top, the graves being opened, and those saints that had died before coming out and being test witnessing, being witnessed or, or seen in town. What a spectacular moment. I believe that as we see in Jeremiah that not only is he encouraging the nation of Judah that they're going to be restored, but he's also prophetically pointing to Christ. In fact, we know this because Jesus himself specifically uh, is asked this question by the Pharisees. In John chapter 8, verse 48. He says this, The, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus answered to them, or Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, Jesus himself says that I am. Am. He uses the term, the title that God himself used when he introduced uh, Moses and the nation of Israel to himself as a God. We see Jesus as, as the, 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 the spectacular moment of power and might as he conquers sin and death at his grave. And we watch the, the Pharisees argue with him about his name. And when he was asked directly to the point, who are you making yourself out to be? He says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. This is the picture that we actually see out of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 16, in the midst of great uh, consequences for the sin of the nation, God is reminding them and he is telling them to look forward to a day when he's going to return them back to their promised land, when he's going to restore them and he's going to present for himself in such a way, in such a mighty, powerful way that everyone will know. And this one time they will see it all come together. And I believe it is the very picture of Christ. And it is that God, it is that relationship with Jesus that we celebrated around communion this morning that in the midst of the sin of the nation of Judah promised to come and redeem them. 
And we are the result of that. We get to live with the reward and the results of that truth as his children. Yay. We should be encouraged by this. Life stinks. It does. We get older. It hurts. Things don't go the way we want them to. The cars break down. All of these things are true. And yet in the midst of it, we have a God that knew all of that, that saw our sin and still provided an answer for that. That had the rebellious nation of Judah and Israel constantly rejecting his word, rejecting his prophets over and over and over again. And even in the midst of that, even as he is bringing discipline to them, as he is going to remove them from the promised land, and he's going to, it says that he's going to doubly uh, 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 bring against them their iniquities. He's going to pay them back. That is a, that's a painful and terrible reality that they're experiencing. But even in that, he says, I am still God, and I'm still going to bring restoration to this nation. I'm still going to return and restore you, not for your glory, but for mine. And that's the picture that we see in this moment. And it's the joyful picture that you and I get to see because we have the Word of God. And we get to look ahead, and we get to look back at the lives and the stories of the gospel, the disciples, and, and, and Paul, and all of those things that happen that remind us of these truths. So as you go out this week, I don't know what you face. I don't know what difficulty you have. Maybe you'll be blessed like me with a sore back. Because that's the least of many, many concerns probably in this very church. I don't know what God is dealing with you in your life. I don't know where your faith walk with him is at. But I am sure that it is probably not easy. And I am sure that there are days this week that will be very difficult and very challenging. But you and I, as a child of God, we have the hope. The Old Testament tells us of a God that loves his people through their rebellion. He loves them enough to discipline them, and he loves them enough to restore them. And we have the privilege of knowing that Messiah and seeing that story and living that truth and hope. So be joyful this week. Not because it feels good but because we know we're going to be in heaven. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of Scripture. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the I Am. John tells us that he was in the beginning, and he was with God, and he was God, and all things that were created were created by him and through him. Lord, we know that you are the one true God. And though we struggle and, and sometimes doubt and wrestle with our own fears, with our own uh, frailties, God, we want to be reminded today to exalt you, to lift our eyes to heaven and to worship and praise the one true God that has promised us eternity in heaven with you as we live out our faith walk following you on this earth, learning to trust, learning to forgive, learning to obey, learning to confess, learning to be merciful and kind with one another. Father, we need you. I need you in every aspect of my life because I forget quickly. I, I become distracted easily, and we desperately need you, Lord.
um, to remind us of who you are, where you are, and ultimately who we are in you. So go ahead of us this week. We give you the glory for all you're going to do and ask God that you would move mightily in our own lives this week in your word and that would use us to be part of your kingdom work this week in our neighbors and our communities surrounding us in your name. Amen. Want to stand with us?
are on the throne. And may God bless you and keep you throughout the week and until his return. Amen. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time.